I'm former Congressman Gary Franks. And I'm his son, Gary. I'm millennial. We're discussing everything from politics to sports and pop culture. From very different perspectives. We speak frankly. Welcome back to We Speak Frankly. And Gary, how are you today? I'm doing good today. How are you doing? Good, good. This is over. Um, if Joe Biden and Kamala Harris have won the election, we're taping this as, at a very interesting period. I congratulate them. If they have not, in other words, if there are some recounts that are going on, because obviously if there's a recount, you can't technically call that state if they're in the process of a recount. That's why we call it recount. And so, or if there are some legal challenges that, that are, that have been presented that are substantive. Obviously that's why we had Gore Bush lasting for 37 days and no one was declared the projected winner for well over a month. So I'm going to take my cues from from what I what I know at this time, but once again, when you're hearing this, it could be a little different. Once again, if Wisconsin's in a recount, you can't count that in Joe Biden's column. If Georgia's in a recount, you can't count that in his column. If Pennsylvania, whatever the states are, if they're in recounts, that automatically would mean you can't count them yet. So I don't want to get too far ahead of myself, but I want to definitely say that if things stay as, as they appear to be now, I would like to uh, you know, obviously congratulate the, the winners, uh, that being uh, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. Uh, special shout out to Ms. Harris as, as if things stay as they are now for her historic race. And as I said before, all these other factors being out there and we're taping a little early. She would be the first female to be vice president of the United States and the first person of African-American descent and Indian descent. And oh, no shout out. She has some Jamaica relatives. So we also commend her for, and also having gone to an, to Howard University, I taught at the other HU for about 14 years. And so shout out to uh, the historically black colleges. It would be um, obviously something that we a lot of people in America would be extremely proud of black, white, orange, purple. If things hold the way they are, a, a significant achievement. And as I said to you on, on Tuesday night, I said that if the election proceeds, I don't see Trump winning. And I know that from the beginning, however, I made a prediction that he would win by a, a sizable amount, that there was a prospect for him winning by a sizable amount. And I, I was obviously wrong. I did uh, get right the fact that there would be uh, somewhat of a record amount of votes for him. And there was. Uh, he got more votes than any other Republican in our country's history. But uh, Joe Biden and, and Kamala Harris uh, got more votes in the history of America. And obviously, there are other discussions going on. And by the time this airs, we're not sure where that status would be as far as the Trump uh, campaign it's, and what they're what they're doing as far as any legal challenges, but I want to also commend Donald Trump for the campaign that that he waged. Uh, right now, the projected winner, however, would be um, 
Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. So I do offer my congratulations to both of them and their families and also to uh, all of those candidates that uh, put their name on the ballot. And those who won, congratulations. Those who did not win, you still won. But just by participating in the process, it's, it is so very important that we, we all would uh, really respect those individuals who did take all of those months out of their lives to campaign. I don't care if it was for state rep or for state senate or congress or for the senate or for governor or for the presidency. It's a tremendous sacrifice, not only for the candidates themselves, but also for their families. So, and thank God we have so many people that are willing to um, to do so. And and hopefully this election cycle would cause others to be excited about getting involved in the electoral process. I'm very happy to also mention that the Republican Party and the House of Representatives will have two new African-American members. I always take a great deal of pride in being able to say that since I was the first black Republican elected in some 60 some odd years and the first one to be elected in an overwhelmingly white district. My district was 92% white. Commonplace now, folks. It's a commonplace. We got a young lady up in, in Washington State who was former mayor of Tacoma, Washington. She's going to be sitting in Congress. And we have a gentleman down in Naples, Florida, a young whippersnapper. I think he's like 40, 41 years old. He's going to be sitting in Congress in one of the most Republican districts in the country, one of the wealthiest districts in the country down in Naples, Florida. So I, I presume that it's, it's both districts are heavily white districts. And so I was very happy as this is my 30th, uh, 30 years ago, I was first elected in 1990 to be able to see now that the Republican Party has, you know, almost double digits as far as the number of people who are Republicans who went to Congress. And obviously we have my good friend, Senator Tim Scott, sitting in the United States Senate. Kudos go out to candidate for the Senate out of Michigan, that being Mr. James, who raised an outstanding race for the second time for the Senate. Once again, I'm not sure if he's involved in, in a recount or anything of that nature, but I wish him nothing but the best in, in his future uh, as well. And many times when you lose, Gary, it could be a setup for something even better, bigger and better. So happy to be able to make all of those comments because um, after the election, it's a time for all of us to kind of come together and be more united and understand that, hey, elections are over. You got to get to work now, folks. You know, you got to get to uh, get to what you were selected to do for office, whether it be state rep or state senate, et cetera. So it's a great process. And I, and I do, uh, once again, I congratulate all of those who ended up on the positive side. And I also want to wish best wishes for all of those who may have fallen a little bit short, at least I know there's recounts. I know there's things going on in Georgia where there's two Senate races that have to be done again because nobody hit over 50 percent. I know in North Carolina, it's it's a, you know, so there, there's a lot of things going on where where the Senate, the U.S. Senate has not been determined whether or not it's going to be in the hands of the Republicans or in the hands of the Democrats. So some things are up in the air. And with President Trump, uh, if he has evidence, he has to show it, doesn't have evidence, you know, let's move forward. I say that, Gary, because I went through all of those things. I never really tried to um, contest things that were done that I perceived to have been wrong in my elections, but I saw them. And almost in every one of my elections, or at least three of them, fraud had a role. For example, in 1986, Gary, I was on the ballot that year for state controller. It was right after my, I won my first election for city council in 1985. 
But in 1986, why that is so important and why it had to do with fraud is because 10 people went to jail because of fraud in the election. What happened was the Democrat Party had a primary. And unfortunately, I believe they were taking each other's dead people. And the bottom line of it is five people, four to five people on the liberal side of the Democrat Party were arrested, put in jail and four to five people on the more moderate side of the Democrat Party was arrested and put in jail since they were primarying against each other. They both got caught. I think they had the same names of the same people, so created a little bit of a problem. So I saw that in 1986, and why do I mention that? I mentioned that because in 1990, it helped me get elected. Now, how did it help me get elected? Because they hated each other. Both factions of the Democrat Party hated each other because of the fact that they sent each other to jail in 1986. So I had a relationship with one side of the Democrat Party, I'm a Republican as you all know, and that side of the party was thrilled that I was going against a guy by the name of Toby Moffat who they hated because Toby Moffat sent their people to jail. Not that they loved me so much, but they hated Toby so much that they helped me. And so, it played a role indirectly in my election to Congress in 1990. Now, fast forward, election fraud again, 1994. Now, I'm an aberration. You know, you know things happen to me that I'm telling you, it's, I always call it Forrest Gump moments because it's just weird. In 1994, my opponent, Jim Maloney, had a situation where three years later, his brother pleads guilty to 17 counts of election fraud. 17. Each one would have warned it one year in jail. His brother could have gone to jail for 17 years and paid a $1.7 million fine. He pled guilty, got a slap on the wrist, house arrest or whatever. They never informed me about the whole process, even though I was the victim. So I saw it. 1994, I won the election, fraud, people going to jail. Some could have gone to jail for 17 years because Jim Maloney's brother said that Jim had nothing to do with it. They said, okay, fine, move forward. And that was it. Now, 1996, family member saw the process of dead people voting and it put him in the hospital. But I thought about challenging the situation, but I walked away. I said, yeah, it wasn't, that wasn't me. You know, I, I, first thing that happens when you get involved in a contest like that, people look at you as being a sore loser or why can't you get over it? Yeah. I didn't want to go through that. Not that I was had all this pride or whatever, but it just, it just wasn't me. God was telling me I got better things in, in mind for you. I recollected my conversation with one of my best friends, Gary, in Congress, that being Congressman Ron Dellums. And I asked Ron Dellums, first I joked around with him and said, Ron, you know, when I was in, at Yale, you were in Congress. And he said, oh, you make me feel old. I said, well, you are. You know, so, but anyhow, I said, Ron, what, what do you miss the most about your tenure in Congress, you were in Congress forever. What do you what, what, what do you regret? We would not miss, but what do you regret? And we sat down on the House floor in between votes and he said, you know, Gary, I miss the fact that I missed so much about what happened to my kids and my family. I missed it because I was in Washington. My kids were having events or doing things. and I, I just didn't see it and I could never get those years back. That planted the seed in my mind, and I was obviously, I was always an advocate of term limits, and I think everybody should be, quite frankly. But that really stood out. So when that happened to me, and I felt that it was fraud, and I had my, a good friend of mine go on TV and talk about the fact that 
people voted that had never voted before. <laughs> you know, that's, a, yeah, that's a good one. It was interesting about the turnout. Yeah, so, I, you know, it was all, you know, I, I knew what was going on, but it was fine. It was fine. If they felt that they had to do that and want to do that, fine. So the point that I'm making is, could there be evidence that could be present? Who knows? The Trump group would have to show that. But even if there is, this is substantial enough to be able to warrant any type of um, further review or or next steps. You know, that's a that's a threshold that would be very, I think, very difficult to overcome. But can, can it happen? Well, I've been a victim three times. I've been a victim twice, and I've witnessed it and benefited from it once. And also, as I've mentioned before, when I was in my twenties, I actually played a role in actually doing the foundation of dead people voting you know so i i played a role in i didn't know what i was doing i was just doing this this i was a little campaign worker you know but that was years later i learned that was the fundamentals of putting it together and so so i i don't want to discourage people i don't want to let people think that 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 it's rampant i'm not saying that i am not saying i think our system our voting system works extremely well but I'm saying that I'm the I'm the the, the, the aberration. I'm the, the you know weird things have happened to me throughout my life. Good things, bad, and I'm just telling you my personal experience. However, I believe strongly. I'm not one of these conspiracy theorists. I believe very strongly that we have an outstanding, outstanding uh, electoral process. Now I say that, but then I'm gonna also say this has been a COVID election. Rules for the first time have changed. So many changes in the rules. You had a situation where mail-in voting became what you had to do. So all of a sudden, all the secretary of states and all over the country mailed information to people that they didn't even want because of COVID. And no one thought that people were going to be able to get to the, the, the voting booth and vote in person. I mean, they were obviously wrong, but it did benefit potentially one side, that type of activity. But it's a COVID election. So we had early voting. We had voting. I don't ever believe that voting would start in a state even before the debates. And I, 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 I scratch my head and said, why, why do we have the, the process if, we, if we're actually voting before we even listen to the two candidates go ahead to head? I mean, why? Why would we want to do that? I mean, either move the debates up or move the early voting back. I mean, so anyhow, but, you know, it was a year of COVID. So. The blocking of the second debate, the year of COVID, Donald Trump caught COVID. He was healthy, felt that he was healthy, cleared by the doctors. But the presidential commission said, nope, we got to do it by remote type manner. Never happened before in our country's history, the COVID election. And extending the deadline for ballots coming in. And that whole process, which I don't know the ins and outs about what every, in every state did it differently. They did it this way. We count it first. We won't count it. We won't count it. Why in the world couldn't every state or be mandated that every state would be required to start counting votes as they landed? And then we would know on election day who would win. This is the first time since Al Gore versus George Bush that we have not had a projected winner on election night. We, now it took until Saturday to, 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 for us to have a projected winner. And once again, I've congratulated Joe Biden and Kamala Harris for being that projected winner of the election. But normally in our history, it happens the day of the, the night of the election. This is a COVID election. I've never heard of a time in which the state would just say, I ain't counting votes right now. <laughs> what? <laughs> what?
Well, well, say that again one more time. You're supposed to be gathering votes and telling us the result. And you're telling America ain't going to happen today, not going to happen today. I'll tell you when we're going to start to look at that. I've never heard of such. I've just never, you know, I'm not saying the benefit of one side or the other. I just never heard of anything like that ever happening. Put it under COVID election, I guess. You know, I don't know. And folks, it's not like they didn't know how to do it, okay? Florida is a perfect example. We had our results, boom, bam, done. And also, folks, it's not as though Nebraska had this problem or Oklahoma had this problem or no, no, no. The problems were in the battleground states, in the states that Biden had to win or was thought that he had a chance of winning. Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania. It's where the problems were. And Georgia. What? Don't forget Nevada as well. Yeah, and Nevada, thanks to our good friend Harry Reid out there. So what a coincidence. What a coincidence. And I don't know. I, I think it's somewhat of a stigma to me. Why Why are Atlanta, you know, the big cities so incapable, un, un, not capable of getting things in on time? I, don't, I just, I, you know, I always talk about, you know, I'm not going to get into that stereotype. But the bottom line of it is, it's not that hard. You know what's going to happen. You know what's coming. This is not a surprise. So when you look at it, you know, and then it reminds me, you know, I'm old enough to remember the election of 1960. I talk about it all the time. I think I talked about it last episode as well. And I was just a little boy. And But the big joke after that election, Gary, was it was a very close election. If Kennedy won Illinois, he became president. And at the time, it was one of the closest elections we that we've ever had. And the, the mayor of, of, of Chicago, <laughs> the joke was, Daly said, how many bags do you need? Bags of absentee ballots in order to put Jack over the top. You know, so it's it's sad when you when you have an election almost 50, you know, 60 years later, and you, you and you're seeing people come up with, oh here's more, here's some more. Here's some, what? Why the chaos? Why the fact that they've taken adamant positions about we're not doing this, we're doing that. We have what's known as a constitution. And the constitution would supersede any of those state Supreme Courts or whatever. And I think they have to follow that. I think they have to follow that. And I've always talked about, you know, my being on the voting roads in, in Connecticut for how many years. It's, it's something that at the very, very worst, whether Donald Trump is able to present evidence that would show problems, we need to clean it up. Because if I can point out and spend 20 minutes talking about three instances that I personally have had, one in which my opponent's brother went to, should have gone to jail and could have gone to jail had he not pled guilty and got, worked on a nice compromise for himself. He did have to pay about a quarter million dollar fine, but still he could have served 17 years in jail. Don't worry about it, folks. You never heard about it because Preston didn't, they didn't really talk about it. It was one of those things. So anyhow, possible. It's possible, but let's clean it up. Whatever the problems are, if it can be uncovered, let's clean it up. What are the ways that they can clean up the election process? Well, unfortunately, Gary, everything that I would mention, the members of the Congressional Black Caucus are going to call it voter suppression, which <laughs> so they're going to scream and yell, and then probably throw up other people's names who passed away recently and say, "Oh, well, you know, it's, it's, it's. no, no, no." It's the bottom line of it is. The same rules that would apply, Gary, for getting on an airplane should apply for getting in a voting booth. 
Simple as that. If anyone has a problem with that or can logically explain why that should not be the case without using the race card, let me know because it works, okay? We have things that's been working for a while. That's one of the ways, Gary, and then having a cross check because people move, okay? Your aunt who lived in New Hampshire was on the voting rolls in Connecticut for I don't know how many years after she left in Connecticut. They should be what's known. To, and here's a, here's a, this is a word, Gary, that if you said this around Congressional Black Caucus members, they will have a fit. But the word is purge. The word is not, and it shouldn't be purge. It's kind of a harsh sound that can, can evoke memories of the 19th century. But the bottom line of it is, if you don't live there, you shouldn't be on the voting rolls for being in that state. And so I'm sure that all of those things are going to be looked at. And also, Gary, if you, if you have a situation where you voted on election day in person and you had your ballot sent, now this is illegal, we know this, but as I said before, an individual whose brother went to Congress was doing things illegal, didn't get caught for three years, did it in 94, got, got caught in 97, I mean, I'm not saying I caught it. The bottom line of it is they decided to prosecute the situation after I got defeated in 96. So they, they went after him. But anyhow, the, the bottom line of it is situation that we can address. It's not all that hard to, to do. So you show up and you vote. You mail in your ballot and it arrives on election day. Now, we got great computer systems, I'm sure. But what's to prevent a person from, at least from a short period of time, having that vote tally twice. Now you should catch it eventually if you if you look in the computer, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I don't know, I've asked that question and uh, and obviously, not I won't say obviously, but, but our, our new police officers out there in the social media world, Twitter wanted to, um, you know, have, they had a problem with my asking a question. And it was a question. It was, I don't know, okay? That's why I asked it on Twitter, just to find out if other, anyone would know what would be the situation. Not because I'm trying to you know, derive some type of conspiracy or whatever. Just say, it's a question. I think it's a pretty decent question in light of the fact that we have all these new COVID election laws. No, I should say COVID state election laws, because bottom line, I don't think they passed this by, you know, people who actually studied the Constitution. Following three terms on the city council and three terms in Congress, Former Congressman Gary Franks' consulting firm has helped scores of companies, large Fortune 500 firms, small businesses, and even startup companies secure millions of dollars in federal government contracts and international business opportunities. Congressman Franks, a Yale grad, author, Fortune 500 executive, and former visiting professor at Georgetown University, UVA, and Hampton University, will use his knowledge, experience, relationships, and strategic plan model to help you reach that next level of success. Schedule your participation in an upcoming webinar to learn just how Congressman Franks can help you. For more information, email gary at garyfranks.org now. So dad, what made this a unique- Okay, but besides the COVID election aspect that I, that I mentioned, Gary, you, well, number one, I talked about this in a prior episode. There is no third party candidate influence because they did not allow a third-party candidate to get any type of oxygen. They, no one knew there was a third or fourth or fifth-party candidate, unlike in any of the elections we've had in the last 20, maybe 30 years. In 30 years, we always had a third-party candidate 
who has gotten some oxygen, whether it would be Mr. Perot getting in there a couple of times, 92 and, 90, and 96, I believe he did it again in 96. Do you have Ralph Nader in 2000? You had, you know, I can go on that. There's always been a third party candidate, but the Democrats, after benefiting from it with Ross Perot siphoning off votes, they did not benefit from it in the 21st century. And so that was somewhat eliminated, thanks to um, the media. Now, that made it different. Secondly, I've never seen a situation where a debate would be obviously just handled in the way in which the second debate was handled. Like, yeah, you know, just absolutely ridiculous. You know, especially since both candidates ended up having town meetings on two networks right after. I never saw a debate, Gary, where the moderator was totally out of control, could not control anything. And the Chris Wallace handling of the debate, it may as well just been a, a campaign contribution to the Biden campaign because it was absolutely terrible. So it should have been an in-kind contribution, what he did. It was that, that bad. And I loved his father. I thought Mike Wallace was one of the greatest journalists in America. I grew up with him on 60 Minutes, but I'll end it there. So moving forward, how in the world would a company be able to shut down the speech of the president of the United States? I never heard of such. I just never heard of, never heard of such. I don't think we're in Russia. I don't think we're in China. I don't think we're in Cuba. How does that happen? Oh, I'm sorry. Not going to post it. No, not going to do it. So you, someone died and made you king? Is that it? Um, social media outlets? I mean, what? I've never seen that. That was a major strength of Donald Trump. They took it away. They took it away. Second major strength of Donald Trump was also his ability to draw large crowds. Well, the media made that a, a, a sin. They made that the worst thing you could ever do is have a large crowd. But the bottom line of it is, that's a strength of Donald Trump, and they wanted to take it away. Donald Trump asserted himself and, uh, and went out there and drew historic numbers of people in some cities across the country in the battleground states. But they wanted to take that away. And they wanted to be able to justify Joe Biden not being able to draw crowds by saying he's being the good guy because, you know, the crowds. He's trying to fight back the crowds. Those would be some of the things, Gary, that just were so, so unusual that, you know, it just made you say, you know, what? What's, what's going on here? So, so right now, I know I've mentioned all of these potential problems. Hopefully there are none. None would be, in my mind, should be anticipated. But it is possible. I remember my first election, Gary, uh, 30 years ago. I'll never forget it. I was looking at TV and your mom and flashed on TV. Dan Rather, CBS News, said Gary Franks has lost his bid for Congress in the 5th District of Connecticut. Toby Moffat will be returned to Congress from the 5th District of Connecticut. National TV! What I did at that moment, Gary, I fell to my knees and I prayed to God. I said, thank you, God, for giving me that opportunity to have been able to run. And then literally, Gary, as I was getting off my knees after praying, I heard a band playing in the hallway down the, down within the building that I was in. I was in a secluded room. But down the hall at the Elton Hotel in the ballroom, a band was playing. And I said, what the hell is going on here? I just lost. 
<laughs> they're playing in a band is celebrating. And the band got louder and louder as though they were walking and coming to my door. The next thing I knew, Gary, my chief of staff, or I should say campaign manager, poked his head in the door. He was out of breath and he said, the president of the United States on the phone for you. And I said, what? I just, I just lost, what? And, and then someone said, and then another staffer ran into the room and said, Franks, Toby Moffat has conceded. I was like, what? <laughs> He's conceded, you won. And at that very moment, the press flooded into, the, into my little office area. New York Times took a big picture of this and it had in the New York Times that week. I'm sorry, not New York Times, Time Magazine. And cameras were flashing and I took the phone and on the phone, the lady said, I have the president of the United States for you. No, first said, is this Mr. Franks? Yes, yes, I have the president of the United States for you. And I took the phone and he said, hey, I'm getting mixed, mixed reports here. I said, hello, Mr. President. He said, I'm getting mixed reports. I, I, Dan Rather just said you lost, but my people here in the White House said you won. What's the story up there in Connecticut? And I said, Mr. President, Toby Moffat has conceded. And he's paused and he said, then you won. Point of the story is that when you concede, it's over. And it doesn't take a concession, you know, in blood or written down at all. It's when you give that concession speech, it's over. Al Gore was on his way to giving his concession speech in 2000 to George Bush when he found out that uh, the numbers weren't quite right in his car that was being televised on TV, on every single TV station, made a turn to go back. They were going to this big pavilion and they turned around. It took 37 days before Al Gore gave his concession speech. That was on the night of the election, 37 days after. So that's what they're looking for now, to get a concession speech out of Mr. Trump. Because technically speaking, without the states ratifying what has taken place, which is scheduled to happen sometime in December, and or Donald Trump conceding, we technically have a projected winner. And that is where we would stand at this point. Some would argue not even a projected winner. I'm saying we do. I'm gonna, you know, I'm, I congratulate it, both individuals. Um, the numbers, you know, at this moment, they are the projected winners. But technically speaking, that's what they're looking for, one of those two things. So I have much more to talk about, but we'll save that for, for another episode. And I want to just give a shout out to all of those folks, 145 million, maybe 150 million Americans who took the time out to vote for doing so. Because that is why we are the greatest country, maybe in the history of this planet. Because we are a country that allows for one man, one vote, and to have a voice in selecting the leader, our leaders. And that's a blessing. It's not done like the like with, with your royal blood or anything of that nature. No. The people speak. Don't forget to subscribe.